there. We, we've been, we started a series a couple weeks ago about how to enjoy the Bible. And, and I did it because we hadn't really talked about this in, a, in quite a while, but also as a refresher for us as we come to the end of the year, our theme this year here has been the Grace Reset. Not the Great Reset, but the Grace Reset and the reorientation of our thinking and our mindset about things that are in the Scripture, that as we come to the Scripture, we, we enjoy them. And as we begin to talk about the issue of enjoying the Bible, we laid out four key kind of keys, fundamental uh, uh, foundational things. We talked about the student, and the student of God's Word is someone who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the teacher of God's Word. That's how God set forth the teacher. So how do I get the Holy Spirit? Well, I trust that Christ died for my sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. Faith and faith in that alone. I don't do any activity. I don't know no activity of my own, no merit of my own. I just simply commit, trust, believe. Ephesians 1 verse 13 is a verse we looked at. Trust, commit. In, in Timothy, Paul says, I've committed unto him against that day. I've trust, I've committed my life to him. My life is in his hands now. I've committed that to him completely and totally in his activity, in his work, not mine. You see, faith is a meritori- is, is a non-meritorial activity. We all have faith. You had faith that that bench would, where you sit on was going to hold you up. So it's not faith, it's the object of faith. Yeah, I don't know about that row. <laughs> that was a dead man's row right there. Not the back row, except you guys on the back row. I don't know. Anyway, I looked up, and they're all looking at each other. It's like, whoa, okay. You can spread out now if you need to. What was I saying? <laughs> the object of your faith is the issue. What are you trusting? What are you believing? And then we talked about the, the, the scriptures and how you know that you have God's word in the English language in a King James Bible. And how you know that when you come through and you begin to look at verses and the verses in the new Bibles out there destroy and tear down our Savior. And you begin to notice that and, and they begin to leave things out and they add and they footnote. And what people say is, well, what gives you the right to make that choice? I don't have the right, but God's word does. And when I take scripture verse for verse and I look at it, one's right and one's wrong, period. We live in an age today when everybody gets their own opinion. You know what, you know what opinions are like? They're like armpits. Everybody's got two of them and they stink. You'll get that. You'll work that out. That's a dad joke, okay? <laughs> All right? Okay? But see, the thing is, is so you've got to know you have the scripture. You've got to know you have the Bible. And then you come over, and now we're going to have a study that we're going to understand. And, and we begin to look at the issue of studying and how to study God's Word. And we begin to recognize, and we need to recognize, that God has an ordained manner in which to study His Bible. By the way, you don't need to go to school to learn this. You just simply got to read. And you got to trust what you're reading to be the, the final authority and the Word of God to you in the moment right here, right now. Then we talked about the secret, and there's a mystery issue, and there's a secret component here, and that's where we kind of been picked it up. So then we begin to, and we ask three questions. You remember? Who? Who's speaking? When you come to Scripture, who's writing it? Who's talking? Who? In James 1, verse 1, James the servant of God, to the 12 tribes, to whom? 
Who's James talking to in the book of James? He's not talking to you. You're not one of the members of the 12 tribes scattered abroad. And then the question is, when? And we looked at verses where we looked at in the beginning of, God, of, of the Lord's earthly ministry, he says one thing, and then at the end, it's almost like he's contradicting, but rather than a contradiction, it's an expansion of, as you begin to study. Then we looked at the three, the, these bring us into three principles of study. The literal principle, the common sense when you pick up a Grisham novel, you don't read into it that when he said the guy shot him with two bullets to the head, that that really was a sword that cut his head off. What do you, how do you read that? It was two bullets to the head. Okay, I, read, I just read a Grisham novel. Can you tell? All right. See? Common sense. We, know you, we come to God's word, and we begin to read it, and we begin to study it. And you know what you want? Nehemiah says, take it literal. The way it comes, don't read into it. When he says, behold, the Lamb of God, slain before, since the foundation of the world, and he says the Lamb of God, he's not talking about a three-legged three lamb, four-legged lamb, going back. He's talking about the characteristics of who the Lord is, a sacrifice, the sacrifice. What is the Lamb of God? It's a metaphor. It's a figure of speech. We recognize that in the literal method. When it says, what, it's, what it says is what it says and what it means, and we leave it alone. We're not trying to spiritualize it. Then we saw the issue. The next one is comparing. Comparing verses with verses. And in the comparing, folks, you need to let your scriptures be its own interpreter. Most of the time when you talk to people about how to study the Bible, they say, well, you need a commentary or you need a, you need a, you need a pastor, you need a teacher, you need some man to tell you. And you know what? When, most of the time you can just come and read it and it'll tell you what it's talking about. And we looked at some of those verses like in Revelation 1 and so forth. And then the third one is what's called dispensational Bible study. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now think about that verse carefully. Study to show thyself approved unto God. That's our great aim, by the way, God's approval. But God's approval in what manner, in what sense? Because I'm sealed with him, I'm complete, and if I'm in Christ, and when I, the moment that I trust the death, burial, and resurrection, and I place my trust in his shed blood, and that, and that alone, that moment, spiritually, God goes to work on my inner man, and he cuts me free, and he sets me over here, and he seals me, and he blesses me with all spiritual blessings. That's the hard thing about religion. Religion says he doesn't do that, so we got to keep you coming and going. God's word, God's grace says, no, I set you free. The reason you keep coming and going is because you're thankful for what I did for you. Why? Because God's grace is a gift. When somebody gives you a gift, what do you usually say? Where's the next one? No. That's what my kid said one time. He ended up in next week real quick. No. What? You say thank you. And because out of gratitude, now we go and do. And you know what happens here is to prove, to study to show thyself approved in what manner? A good student, a workman, working house, study, not read. Now, you can get stuff from reading, but study it. Get in it. Dig in there. Look at it. Massage it out. Study. 
That's our great duty. Our great goal is to be that workman, not ashamed, to be that good student. And then rightly dividing the word of truth, and that's the great requirement. And that's where dispensational Bible study, what we're going to look at this morning here, because when you think about this issue and when we come to look here at dispensational Bible study and how God's word says to study it, how do I? Now come back with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2, just quickly here. I know if you have that handout, there looks like a lot there, and there is. And some of it we're going to look at it, and some of it we're not, because you're going to get it as we go, and you're going to understand and see where we're headed, and then we'll be done here, and you can go have lunch and go, wow, you know, boy, that preacher's an awesome guy. You know, look at, right? (laughs) Okay. See, nobody will pat me on the back, so i got to do it for me, okay? Look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 7. This verse ought to be plastered somewhere in your life whether it's in your memory or it's on a bulletin board or on the the refrigerator. Paul says, where, 2 Timothy 2, I am so, I was on a roll, first mistake I made all morning. 2 Timothy 2 verse 7, sorry. Look, what did he say? Consider what I say and the Lord give the understanding, and how many things? 2 Timothy 2, 7. So if I want to have understanding in all things, who do I have to consider? I have to. Do you know that John the Baptist never said that? He never said, consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Do you know that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he walked the earth, never said that verse? Peter, the great apostle, Never said it. Actually, in in 2 Peter 3, Peter says, you know what? There's still some hard things to understand over there. The only one that said you'll get understanding in all things is to consider what I say, and that's the Apostle Paul. So you know what I think we ought to do? I think we ought to consider what he says. Why? Because Scripture says that. Not because I have an agenda. I have no agenda. Not because I want to do anything. I don't. The do, coming into the door, into this room, above the door, there's a plaque that says Romans 4. What saith the Scripture? Well, that's what we're about here. How am I going to enjoy the Scripture? Then I'm going to have to come to it the way Scripture tells me to come to it. I'm going to have to place where God, rightly dividing the word of truth. You, you say that and people go, ooh, you're cutting up the Bible. No, we're not. We are taking the truth. And we're not dividing truth from error. That does it on its own. We're taking the truth of God's word, all of it, all 66 books and we're laying in the dividing lines that God himself has already placed what right division does is it just clarifies it opens the book for you it it looks at you and you say hey have you ever have you ever read the you ever hear a preacher say you got to do what that verse says to do and the verse says that Judas went out and hung himself Oh, I'm not going to do that. Well, then it says, go do like he did. What? And then you jumbled up, and it's like, what in the world? This is nuts. You Bible believers are nuts. But, man, right division just comes in and just opens that up. Why? Because what are we considering? We're considering what the Apostle Paul says. And who is he? He's a, he, he received his information directly from the risen, ascended, and seated on high, far above heavenly places, Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see that. Come over with me to Ephesians 2. So when you think about rightly dividing the word of truth, 
placing the divisions right where God himself has already placed them. We do not have the right, no man ever has the right, to divide it where he wants to. You know, what, you know who does that? Someone who's full of pride and ego, ego. Someone who doesn't pay attention to what the words say. Someone who wants to be the preeminence. No, not at all. We're just identifying. We're, look at Ephesians 2 verse 11. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past. Is that hard? What's that? Past. Verse 13. But now. Is that hard? Verse 7. Ages to come. Now you owe me $25,000. That's what the speakers get today. So why couldn't I? Was that hard? We read three verses, didn't we? And what did we just find out? That God says he's divided his Bible, his scripture into past, present, and future. <gasps> you now know more than the average dude coming out of the cemetery, the seminary knows. Oh, my goodness. But see, religion can't let you know this because then what happens? You know more than the preacher knows, and the preacher's got to be the head guy. He's got to be the final authority. No, man, let God's word be your final authority. And notice, time passed. But now, verse 7, that in the ages to come, these divisions are wonderful. They, they, they help you understand when you're reading Scripture where you're at. Look, at. look at verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past, what? Gentiles. By the way, Gentiles, nations, not a Jew, not Israel. You're a Gentile who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. There's some basic characteristics back here in time past. And the basic characteristic back here in time past is this issue of circumcision versus uncircumcision. Come back with me to Genesis 17. Hop on your, your horse. Here we're going to go. Genesis 17. You see, there's some things here that you got to pay attention to. When you're reading your Bible and you read about there being a division between circumcision and uncircumcision, Jew and a Gentile, we'll get there, then you instantly know I'm reading in time past. Not today. Back there. Genesis 17, in Genesis 17, you have God talking to Abraham, verse 9, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generation. By the way, pause for a second, little parenthesis. We're going to look into all of this a little deeper as we go in the next couple weeks. I just want you to get the overview this morning, okay? Verse 10, This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you, and thy seed after thee. So who is this between? God and Abraham and then his descendants. Is this between God and you? No. Ooh, spooky. Okay. What's going to happen? Every man child among you shall be circumcised. 
and, the, and ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man, child, in your generation. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. Is this an option? Not at all. By the way, circumcision, by the way, this has nothing to do with hygiene or medical issues. This is an identification issue that God's looking at Abraham and saying, you're my guy and your seed is my people and you're my, and how we're going to distinguish between you and everybody else is this sign of circumcision. Paul calls it a middle wall of partition. I mean, we'll get into it. Now look at verse uh, the end of verse 13. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Now watch. And the uncircumcised man child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from the people he has broken my covenant. So which side do you want to be on back here? Circumcision or uncircumcision? I think circumcision. All right? So that's number one. There's the basic characteristic. Come over to Deuteronomy. You're in Genesis or Exodus or wherever you're at. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. There's, a, there's a, a people. We call it an agency of people that he's going to be working through and using. The people group. I, Deuteronomy 4, verse number 5. Behold, I, uh, this will be uh, God talking to Moses. He says, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should go in the land, whether ye go to possess it, there, keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all, I'm sorry, in the sight of the nations. Verse 7, for what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord your God is in all things that we call upon him for the nation that God's using in time past is the nation of Israel that's his people okay they belong to him they're the circumcision group now if you want to get in then there's ways to get in we'll talk about that in the coming weeks just get what's happening here now we have a realm of operation where are we going to operate well, you're in Deuteronomy. Come over to chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7. Around, so we've got a basic characteristic here of circumcision versus uncircumcision. We've got an agency of people that God's going to use, and it's the nation of Israel. We have a realm of operation, chapter 7 and verse 6. Again, God talking to Moses and Moses to the children of Israel says, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the, what? Earth. Where, do, where does the Old Testament, where does Scripture concentrate on back here? In time past, where is Scripture concentrating? On the earth. Earth, 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 earth. Come on over. To Matthew chapter 5. So we've got a realm of operation. Then we've got a operating system. The law. 
Matthew 5 and verse 17. Now you know why you have a today's reference list. Matthew 5, verse 17. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking says, Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. The law is their operating system. You know what that is? Windows, Mac. How do we function? How are we going? Galatians chapter 4 says of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was made of the woman, made under the law. When the Lord Jesus Christ walked the earth, the law was what he was living by. The law was his guiding. The law. Now, Scripture, you're in Matthew. Come to Matthew 10. So we have the Scripture. When you are reading Genesis to Malachi, you're in time past. Why? Israel's the focus, the earth is the realm, and the operating system is the law. When you come to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, guess where you're at? Time past, Old Testament ground. <gasps> it says New Testament in my Bible. No. By the way, come over to Hebrews 9. Hold on to Matthew. You got to think about this. So when somebody says that to you, you ought to go, wait a minute, why, what's going on? Okay? Look at Hebrews 9, verse 16. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no, of no strength at all while the testator liveth. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the testator, the Lord Jesus Christ, has not died yet. He doesn't die till the end. So the New Testament really doesn't begin till the end of these gospel accounts and in the Acts. So we're still over here on Old Testament ground. By the way, you do know that your Old Testament does not start in Genesis 1, right? It starts over in Exodus with the giving of the law to Moses. <gasps> Heresy. Well, no, just read your book. Okay? Anyway, Matthew, Matthew 10. Go back to Matthew 10. Matthew 10. Notice verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. So where they can't go where? To the Gentiles, but go rather to who? The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who's important here? Israel is. John chapter 4, verse 22, he says, salvation is of the Jews. That's who, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where are we? We're still in time past. How about the book of Acts? Oh, that's a great book. It's still time past, by the way. Come over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse number 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, the twelve are asking the Lord, Lord, what will thou at this time, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Oh, I'm missing one. Why didn't somebody yell at me? I'm missing one. There's a hope. There's hope. Oh, is a kingdom. Oh, man. Boy, ruined that, didn't I? Their hope. Israel's got a hope. Time passed hope. <laughs> I was like, Acts 1 6. 
What's their hope? The kingdom. A literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic in nature, because David's the king, kingdom. Okay? Scriptures. Come over to Romans 15. Romans 15. Romans 15. Romans 15 and verse 8. Sounds like they're having a good time out there. Romans 15, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of what? Where was he at? He's back here, wasn't he? He's on this side. Okay? He went, uh, got, okay? Now, so when I read back here in Genesis to Malachi or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, where am I? I'm in time past. That that would be helpful, wouldn't it? When he says to you, if you don't forgive, the Father doesn't forgive you, Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They never finish out that section where he says, forgive those who trespass against you, or the Father doesn't forgive you a little tough because what do we know that we have today forgiveness of all trespasses but now the now basic characteristic come on over to you're in Romans there look at Romans 16 well you know what go to Romans 3 let's just go there Romans 3 Romans 3 we'll get to 16 So now let's talk about today, now. Romans chapter 3, basic characteristic, verse 21. But now, see the but now? The righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So there's something going on today that's a little different than in time past. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Now watch, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Did you see that thing about no difference? For all have sinned? Back here there was a difference, wasn't there? Today there's no difference. You see that? What are you? You're all sinners. Verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? The we is the Jews, the they is Israel. No in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. Come over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verse 28. You see, folks, back here in time past, by the way, this is also called prophecy. We'll look at that next time. Today's called mystery. Ages to come. Prophecy. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one. In Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, what are you? You're one. But when you look around this room, who do we have? We have male and female. 
And what happens? Religion says, well, if you're a male, you can do this. And if you're female, or, you know, boom, you know, pregnant in the kitchen or all that nonsense. And God's word comes in and says, you know what? In the eyes of God, you know what you all are? Sinners. But if you're in Christ, you're all equal. No one stands higher than the other. That's fantastic. That's a no difference. No difference today. Who's the agency? Come over to chapter 3 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Actually, stop in Ephesians 1, just real quick here. Ephesians 1, verse 22, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Chapter 3, verse 6, That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. See, today, it's the body of Christ. It's not Israel. It's Israel. It's the Jew and the Gentile together. No difference. Why? What's he doing? He's taking sinners, no matter nationality, class, status, all that. In another verse, he called, there's no barbarians or Scythians or any, none of that stuff. You stand there as a sinner, you trust Calvary, and then he blesses you and he's put you into his body. By one spirit are we all baptized into one body. Okay? The realm, you're in Ephesians 3 here. Look back at chapter 2. The realm of operation. It was the earth. Now, chapter 2, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now you know why we sang that song. I know I'm seated in heavenly places. Where is the realm of our operation? Heavenly places. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Where 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 are we looking for? Heavenly places. Come over now, operating system. Romans 6, verse 14. You ought to be able to quote this verse. Romans 6, verse 14. The operating system today isn't the law, it's God's grace. Romans 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Why won't sin have dominion over you? For you, (laughs) ye are not under the law, but under grace. With the law comes the knowledge of sin. The law says you're guilty, you're guilty, you did it, you did it, you messed up, you messed up, you'll never get it done. God's grace comes in and says, I did it, I took care of the penalty, I paid the price, I paid the debt, and all I'm doing now is I'm giving it to you as a free gift. You trust me, you believe that my activity, my, the Lord's activity, not mine, me personally, Rick, if you believe me, then you're in trouble. Just ask Linda, she'll tell you, okay? No, when the Lord says, if you trust my activity, then I'll bless you, and I'll give you, and I will sanctify you, I will justify you, and I'll make you righteous. God's grace. Look, come to Philippians 3, our hope. Philippians 3. So just think about this. You and I, Colossians 2, we're complete in him. Ephesians 1.3, we just read it. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. If I have all spiritual blessings, then what am I not trying to get? 
more, more spiritual blessings. Philippians 3. I have them all. So then what am I going to do? I'm going to come over here now, and I'm going to live my life unto him who just gave me all. But I'm missing something. I'm lacking one little element, and it's a timing element, honestly. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What am I looking for? My hope is in the heavenly places, but it's also in a new body, a new species of humanity. You will be an alien, and you will have a UFO, unidentified flying object. It's called your body, okay? You guys think this, the world's going nuts. I, it's always been nuts. And they just plagiarize stuff right off the pages of God's Word, by the way. You see, folks, our hope is the heavenly places, but our hope is that new body. Why? Because then we're in His presence and we're doing what He needs and we're getting on with the program. Scripture-wise, we're in Romans, the Philemon. Paul... Romans 11, verse 13. Romans 11, verse 13. On your way, stop at 1 Corinthians 14. Well, Romans 11, just go there time-wise. I, I, I want to make sure we do get this done. Romans 11 and verse 13. Romans 11, verse 13. You remember in Matthew 10, the Lord says to the 12, you're my apostles, and go and do, and he sends them out, commissions them out. Romans 11, verse 13, Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. In Matthew 10, the Lord tells the 12 apostles, Don't you go talk to the Gentiles. Paul says, I was sent to talk to you Gentiles then as a Gentile, which everyone in this room is, by the way, who should I go listen to? Who should I consider what I say and the Lord give me understanding in all things? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, the Apostle Paul says that if, if any man think that he's a prophet or spiritual, let him consider that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of God. Commandments, uh, well, commandments of the Lord. Sorry. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments. If you think you're spiritual, then you know what you better be doing. You better be acknowledging that the apostle Paul is the Gentiles to the, the apostle to the Gentiles, and he's the one I ought to be looking to. Now, whether you listen to him or not, that's your business. That's between you and God. But you better be honest with that book, because that book's what's going to get you in the end. So where am I going to go? So when I'm reading Romans to Philemon, I'm not reading back here. I'm reading today, the but now. Okay, now come over to Hebrews 2. We're going to do this one really fast, and then we'll, because we'll, there's more scripture here, Hebrews chapter 2. In Ephesians 2, verse number 7, he says, the ages to come. Now, the, the church, the body of Christ, we'll get that new body. It's called the rapture. All right, and we're going to look at all of this as we come. So don't think you got to know it all right now, okay? I had a guy tell me one time, he goes, it takes me a lot. It's going to take a lifetime to learn this. I go, you'll learn it quicker than you think. It just takes a lifetime to believe it. 
okay? When the rapture happens, things go back. We have a division. Time passed. There's an event in Acts chapter number 7 that causes a change to happen. Matthew, or Romans to Philemon, Paul's epistles, you and I, but now, the age of grace. There's an event that's going to happen. It's called the rapture that ends this day and moves us into what is called the ages to come. When you go to the ages to come, when we go out here into the future, we go back into prophecy. Circumcision is the issue again. Israel is the people, specifically the little flock, the believing remnant. The earth is the realm of operation. The law, not the Mosaic law, the Messianic law is now the key component. They are hoping and still moving towards that kingdom. Back here, the kingdom is prophesied and talked about. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Lord says the kingdom is at hand. It's there. Now it's on, now it's on planet earth. It's here. And the scriptures are Hebrews to Revelation. Now, how you know that is Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and look, if you will, at verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now, watch the punctuation there. What is the great salvation? Well, which at the first began to be spoken of by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. What did the Lord speak about? What great salvation did the Lord speak about when he spoke in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So then, who's the we, by the way? Well, who heard the Lord speak? Wasn't you and me, Gentiles. It was who? Israel. So the we is Israel. By the way, the book is Hebrews. You know, that's what Moses did with the coffee, Hebrews. <laughs> uh, you guys, come on, you wake it up here, you know. Uh, thank you. I get, a, I get a thumbs up from the back room. All right. See, the thing is, is we, Israel, the Lord is speaking about a great salvation. It's in the kingdom. Verse 4, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own. That's Acts that's Acts 2, 3, 4. That's the early Acts period. So now watch verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not, uh, I'm sorry, for unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. What's Hebrews going to be talking about? The world to come. He's not going to be talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Actually, he says, we ain't going back there. We're moving on. See? You go to James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered, which are scattered abroad greeting. Who are the 12 tribes? Israel. What are They're scattered. They're under persecution, tribulation, trial. He says, we're over here. Okay? So what do we have? We consider what Paul says, 2 Timothy 2.15, study, rightly dividing the word. God says, I got a time past program, I got a now program, and then I got a to come program. I got a past, present, and future program that you need to identify and you, you need to be well aware of. Now, come back to 1 Kings chapter 8. It'll take you a minute. 
But what I need you to understand, and again, this is just big picture. We'll go look at the Old Testament. We'll look at time past next time. We'll get into some of that. We'll look at us today. We'll look out there. We're going to look at this stuff. I'm not, I don't want to leave you hanging, but I need you to catch when we talk about rightly dividing, when we talk about dispensational Bible study, this is what we're talking about is laying in the cut lines where God laid in the cut lines, the divisions, the dividers. Genesis 17, a minute ago, verse nine, verses 9 to 14, who told Abraham that circumcision was the main issue now? Who told him that? God did. Abraham didn't think that up and have a bad night of, you know, pizza and too much to drink, you know, a little wine that went bad. He didn't do, no, God told him. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8. You're probably there. I'm not yet. 1 Kings 8. And look at verse 53. Now, this is Solomon. He's out doing and, and uh, he's building the house and the, the glory has filled the temple. And Solomon's dedicating the temple. Verse 53. For thou, and that'll be the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The end of the verse, O Lord God. For thou didst separate them from among all the people of the earth to be thine inheritance. As thou spakest by the hand of Moses, thy servant, when thou broughtest your fa our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. Who, made, who separated Israel out? Well, Moses did. No. Who did? God did. Who took Israel and said, you're not going to eat any of the animals, you're going to only eat the clean ones, and you're not going to eat the unclean? Who did? You're, you, can't wear, you can't wear material that's blended. It's only one thing. Do you know that there's no health issues associated with any of that? It was designed to do what? Set Israel apart. Make them look odd. Make them look different. Why? Because they're his people. But who made it? God did. God's the one. Come over to Numbers, chapter 23. Numbers 23. You see, folks, when you think about dispensational Bible studying, you think about rightly dividing, and, and I, know what the, I know what religion says, and I know what the critics say, but that is nothing of what we're talking about. We're talking about, hey, God chose this for a point of time. Then he chose to do what he's doing today in the age of grace, the dispensation of grace. And he will go back to that. He did that. I didn't do it. He did it. Numbers 23. This verse, verse 9, ought to be written down by Matthew 28, uh, there, 18 to the end of that chapter. 28, or Numbers 23, verse 9. From, for from the top of the rocks... I see him. This is Balaam, Balak, and Baal. Balaam, the, the prophet, Balak has paid him a whole bunch of money to curse Israel. Every time he cursed Israel, he ended up blessing them, and they got bigger and bigger. So what does he say? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Balak, Balaam says, when I look out over there, every time I open my mouth, we bless him, he get bigger. And you know what they're doing? They're filling up this valley. <laughs> And I get up on top of South Mountain, and I look out, and all I see is Israel from one hill to the other. And Balaam, Balak says, yeah, I do too, and you need to shut up because <laughs> pay, I'm paying you. But now watch. 
the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who set, who set Israel to be alone and not counted, not numbered with the nations? God did that. Not Moses, not Abraham, not Jacob, not Joshua, not Gideon, not David, not Solomon. God Almighty did. Now come to Romans 11. So in time past, what did God do? He set a divider line in amongst humanity. Romans 11. Two minutes. Romans 11 and verse 25. For I would not, brethren, and the, I, the, this is Paul speaking, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is, present tense, right, is, happened to Israel. Isn't that interesting? What did Paul just say God did to Israel? Blinded them. Until the fullness of the Gentiles, that'll be the body of Christ, the age of the dispensation of grace, become in. God said, you're my people, you can't be numbered, you're it, you're top dog. Now you're blinded. Who blinded Israel? God did. He blinded them because of their unbelief and their apostasy. But now look at verse 26. And so all Israel shall be, say, shall be, future tense. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion to deliver and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, Isaiah 59. Now they're back. They were this. Now he's doing this today. But he will go back and do that. Again, who's doing this? God the Father. God Almighty is. So while we, when we come, to, folks, when you come to right division, you need to, it just opens it up for you to understand what's happening. And again, we make the cuts where God has already made the cuts. And that brings great clarity to the totality of God's word. It allows us to enjoy the Bible and not go, wait a minute, what's he doing? What's this? We can step back and we can say, who's speaking to whom and when was it written? We can come in and we can say, you know what, literally I, I can compare it, I can... I can put it where God has put it on the timeline. Now we're gonna next week we'll dive into time past and look into some more of those verses. So you see it. So you see what's happening in Genesis to Malachi, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Especially Acts. People break their fool necks, spiritually speaking, on that book of Acts for no reason. And but you can just have clarity. Then you can relax and enjoy and rejoice in who you are in Christ. Okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the edict to study and then the prescription on how to do it. And we thank you for that. In your name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to be...